Hi, Bulldog fans. Welcome back to the Drake Basketball Podcast, here to break down Drake's latest victory and get you prepped for Wednesday's game at Missouri State. This past Saturday, the Bulldogs welcomed the Evansville Purple Aces to the Knapp Center for hometown team weekend. And to put it mildly, things did not go well for David Raglan and company. No, it was a uh, completely dominating performance for Drake. Just completely ran him out of the building, winning the game 97-48, to 48, tying the largest margin of victory ever uh, for a Drake win. Uh, so just a complete dismantling of Evansville, which, again, we talked about it in the last podcast, but Humacris actually did play against Valpo last week as they picked up the win, but he did not play against Drake, and without their best player and best scorer, Evansville is a completely different team. That being said, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be nearly as bad of a beating as it turned into on Saturday. And that's largest margin of victory in conference, right? I believe so. Yeah, okay, I, think, yeah. I believe we beat Creighton by 49 like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I think it was. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I remember like the moment that game happened and they just immediately started searching for entries into the Big East. So <laughs> <laughs> things are looking out for the Evansville fan base, if that's the case. So um, where where do we even start with trying to break down the Evansville game? A 49-point win, up 34 at the break, in a game where Tucker DeBreeze scored 11 points. I found one stat that I think really summed it up for me, and that's that the uh, Aces starting two-guard Chuck Bailey and the starting three-guard Gage Bob were both outscored by junior Drake walk-on Brayshawn Hall, who finished the game with five points. Hey, our bench... They did a great job of coming in and kept scoring the ball, which we have all learned really helps your net. So now there's complete incentive to run up the score uh, in some of these games. But yeah, I mean, it all just happened really quickly. All of a sudden, it was just kind of a snowball effect. And I think the game really turned when Kyron Gibson came into the game and hit a couple threes. And right when that happened, it was just a huge surge. You know, Kevin Overton did a good job of running the floor. Of course, Brody was just a monster. And Evansville just kept double teaming him, triple teaming him. Couldn't really do anything. And from there, Evansville just kept chucking threes. They weren't going in. Drake was getting out in transition. And in the blink of an eye, it was just game over. Yeah, it was a bad combination of Evansville looking like one of the worst teams I've seen this year and Drake playing like one of their best games. And it's hard to say one of their best games just because Evansville looked so bad. But I mean, at one point in the first half, Drake was 20 for 24 from the field, which is an insane number. Like you, you can have a D1 team playing a D2 team and that's an insane number. And obviously, like you said, Darnell, nine for nine from the field. Like you're starting center shoots 100% with nine attempts. That's going to win you a lot of games. But uh, it's tough for us as podcasters trying to break this down because there's only so many ways to say it was just an incredibly large route. Yeah. And I think the thing that you can kind of point to is just the focus. And I thought 
Drake was doing a really good job of just consistently making the extra pass. I don't understand why teams try to sewn us up. I mean, I do. It's because of Brody. It's, you know, when Brody's going off and you kind of don't feel like you can match up with him inside, then teams throw a zone at us. And we're generally pretty good at moving the ball. And that's exactly what Drake did. And I'm sure that going into the game, Kyron Gibson was probably on the scouting report as like, okay, that's one guy that we can maybe live with taking threes. But it was how open he was. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, you know, maybe he can be the one that shoots it as opposed to Tucker or Overton, but he was wide open, you know, had time to set his feet. And that was kind of, yeah, 20 for 24, like you said, to start out because they were just layups and open threes and open cutters. What what else can you say in a 49 point win? What else stood out to you? Well, I will say in terms of teams playing zone in DeVries' early years, that wasn't always a bad move because we tended to get a little bit stagnant when faced with the zone and we didn't really seem to have a go-to zone offense that was quite as effective as we do now. Because now when we see a zone, it immediately just turns into dissection with guys slashing to the high post, um, getting to the center, kicking out. And like it's it's something of a strength for Drake now when teams go zone. In the past, it was more of a struggle, but clearly teams are they're searching for anything they can do to somehow slow down this new Brody-centered offense, and obviously not when I say Brody-centered, I'm not saying that you know he's the leading scorer or anything, but now that Brody is very much the initiator, we attack with him relentlessly before kicking it out and moving it around. People don't know what to do. And it's weird that what you just described is accurate, and it's weird because we had such a great point guard in Roman Penn that you would think that that wouldn't have been a weakness in the past, but I think the two things that have changed are, one, Brody being such a reliable passer uh, and being able to operate through him in different parts of the court and Tucker being a point forward. I think the ability of both of them to just read the defense, dissect it. And now you have guys like Adam Wright does a really good job of relocating in the corners. Kevin Overton finds those gaps. So it just seems to flow a lot better with, with this team. And Evansville tried it. It was not successful. Similar to the Illinois State game last week, another, you know, another big win for Drake there. Just Brody, again, being a force, you know, ever since the Belmont game where Brody had his worst game of the season, might have been one of his worst games as a Bulldog in general. Ever since then, Brody has been locked in, playing with a lot of energy. And as you said, just being such an an initiator for Drake on offense and Drake runs so much effective offense off of that high post action between Tucker and Brody. I mean, there's so many different iterations of what you can go to, and teams have not figured out the best way to defend it because, honestly, your best bet is to blow it up before it begins because if you don't, then it's very difficult to defend. Yeah, absolutely. I know you mentioned it earlier just sort of the effects that net and offensive efficiency rankings have had on some of these games where you might have seen subs come in a little bit earlier in the past. Have you noticed that watching college basketball this year? You know, I haven't really thought about it until you said it, but I mean, Drake kept its starters into the game decently late against Evansville, uh, decently late against Illinois State. I mean, pretty much kept them in the entire game against Illinois State. Uh, on that win and 
against Evansville. Tucker probably sat, what, with seven, eight minutes left? You could argue he probably shouldn't have even played the second half. Most of the starters shouldn't have played the second half. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's probably some truth to that. Just it does have an impact. Teams are encouraged to win big when they can. And Drake probably learned that lesson because I think they had a couple games earlier on in the season where they kind of relaxed or kind of went to the bench early, including the first Illinois State game back in Des Moines. That was a game where Drake was up almost, I think they were up 30 and they end up winning by 17. So yeah, it's weird. I don't like that metric, to be honest. Of Yes, I, I understand rewarding bigger margins of victory, but it's almost like there should be something in the formula that caps it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, because Drake jumped 11 spots up in the net after that. They're up at 44 now. And as a paranoid mid-major fan, it seems pretty obvious that this formula is meant to help Power 5 teams who spend 95% of their non-con playing by games. So, you know, I mean, they run up the score against SWAC teams, and then it's just an echo chamber once they enter conference play because they all have really elevated net scores that they refuse to play quality teams like Drake. But yeah, not to go down a negative road. Great victory by Drake. We're up to top 50 now in the net. Next up, Missouri State. The game I dread the most, Missouri State. What can we say about the underachieving Missouri State Bears uh, coming into it? They will be 10 and 9, 2 and 6 in conference, which I don't believe anyone had. Shout out to the one person who voted for Missouri State to win the conference, because remember, they did have one vote. I keep track, you know, I keep receipts on these. I, I, I reference this in the pod constantly. Um, but Missouri State, I don't know what the heck has gone wrong. I mean, the obvious common denominator when you go through their losses is they can't shoot. I mean, they shoot 31% from three collectively. So they can't make threes. And if you can't make threes, that's going to make your uh, conference season kind of a, a nightmare. And that's what it's turned into. How are you feeling going into this game? Like you, I'm nervous, but I don't think I'm as nervous as you. Just because of, and I say this every podcast we have, the coaching disparity. The Bears have lost four of their last five, three of them by 20 plus. And if we know one thing, we know that it's Coach DeVries knows how to get teams prepped for games. This is in large part the same team that we prepped you for earlier in the season. And if you want a more thorough breakdown of some of the players on their team, go back and check out that podcast. But the main difference in this matchup will be that leading scorer Alston Mason is back in the lineup. He was out with an injury during the first game in Des Moines. He's one of their better three-point shooters. He's about... 6'2", which I believe means Connor will probably be matched up with him to start. He's pretty quick. He shoots around 36% from behind the arc. So I anticipate Connor will need to hang tight with him, continue to beat him to spots and follow him over screens. But I think if anyone knows what Dana Ford and Missouri State like to do, it's Darren DeVries. We've had so many matchups with them in the past. And we usually seem to come out on top. And those have been in seasons where the Bears aren't as much of a train wreck as they are now. I don't know if you saw their AD came out with a statement recently sort of addressing what's been going on on the court. I mean, it's just I did see it. And like you said, I mean, they're getting they're not just losing. They're getting blown out at home. Attendance is horrible. Dana Ford, definitely in the hot seat. I mean, I don't think that's any secret. but. We have struggled with Missouri State, 
and that's why I still get a, a level of paranoia with them. I'm hoping that the one thing that it can be replicated from that first matchup against Missouri State is the Kevin Overton effect. In the past, as you know, Donovan Clay has given the Bulldogs so many issues. He's so versatile, you know, athletic, long, can impact the game in so many ways for Missouri State. And Kevin Overton just shut him down. Last matchup, Donovan Clay was 3 of 13, had 9 points. Kevin Overton did an incredible job defending him and then also chipped in 11 points. So that's something we, di- we didn't have in the past. That was always kind of a, a bad matchup for Drake. And if we assume that Kevin Overton can replicate that and do that for Drake, then I think we'll be in good position. This is a game that Drake should win. Missouri State is not playing well. As you mentioned, the coaching disparity with Dana Ford. But I always get paranoid with teams that play the slow tempo, good defense, because that's what ultimately can trip up Drake. I never worry about the teams that play good offense. I always worry about the teams that play good defense. At least that seems to be the track record of teams that give us more issues. Yeah, I mean, it's like we've talked about in the past. Missouri State very firmly has the Phelps effect in play for them, where any game, due to the quality of the players that they've recruited, things can go magically right, shots can drop, and they can pull an upset. So, yeah, I don't expect the team or the staff to underestimate Missouri State at all. Definitely expect to see Drake show up in Springfield. Very fired up. It's a place that we hadn't won a game at in a very long time until they broke that streak. I don't remember what year it was, but... I think Reed Timmer was the catalyst in that, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it must have been about six years ago, I'm guessing, five or six years ago. You mentioned Austin Mason. I mean, he's a really good player, a good shooter. Like you said, it's just it takes one game that someone gets hot, and Austin Mason, Drake beat Illinois State just last week by 21, and if we're being honest, I thought Illinois State looked horrific. You know, it was kind of like a soft 21. It kind of should have been more. So then to see them go back and then beat Missouri State by nine, you know, at Missouri State, they're not trending in the right direction. But in that game, Austin Mason, five of 21, three of 14 from three. So, you know, he's going to have a bounce back game. I mean, that just screams, let me hit six threes against Drake now. <laughs> but I don't know. The slide isn't ending. Clearly, it's a team that has top four talent in the Valley, but are playing currently as bottom four in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be the team that kickstarts a streak for them. Uh, so, yeah, the Bulldogs should win. And this is a game that you have to have. You can't have any missteps if you're trying to claim a regular season title. No, absolutely. This this is a game where if you slip up here, it could be the difference between one and two seed in Arch Madness. So fully expect the team to be honed in on this. When's the last time we swept Missouri State? We should probably look into it for the next pod because I bet you in the last 20 years, we've probably only swept them a handful of times. This is why we need to bring former Drake SID Ty Patton on staff for the Drake Basketball Podcast because he could tell us exactly when the last time drake swept them was I, he wouldn't even have to look it up he'd be able to recite it offhand he always is there to pop up with the sources on twitter so <laughs> ty if you're listening you have a standing invite well and you know since we're giving credit i believe he was the one that had the stat with the 49 point win against creighton in 1985 so so there you go credit where credit is due yeah so 
like we said, we talked about how big of a game this is in terms of the Valley race as the standings exist now. We are tied with Indiana State. Technically, we have the breaker since we beat them, both teams at 7-1. and one. Second place is Bradley at 6-2. and two. Right behind them comes Northern Iowa at 5-3, and three, who's tied with Murray State. Behind them, Southern Illinois and Belmont at 4-4. Four and four. Illinois State at 3-5. and five. Missouri State at 2-6, and six, tied with Evansville Purple Aces and Valparaiso with identical records. And bringing up dead last is the UIC Flames which I'm going to go ahead and eat crow. I thought that USC was going to be better than this this year. And they started out the non-con well, and since then they've collapsed. But they fooled everyone after beating Loyola. You know, that was <laughs> that was their big uh, non-conference win. But, you know, they've had a couple close losses, I would say. And in a similar vein, I, I did proclaim Valpo as the worst team in the Valley. So they're uh, showing me up as they're in a tie for second worst. But, you know, they could finish a little bit higher than that. They've been playing better the, these last couple of weeks. Uh, but going through the standings, Tucker. So I messaged you about this and said, you know, let's try to predict how you think the Valley will finish one, two, and three. And if you want to give me records, you get bonus points as well. I do not want to give you records. The Drake Bulldogs will win the conference. Indiana State is going to come in second. And then I think Bradley Braves will finish third. So really just like the standings are now, I think it's going to be the final conference standings. I think Drake and Indiana State are both a level above Bradley. Bradley is a really scrappy team that plays great defense. They play together well. And when they catch on the right night, if their shots are falling, uh, they can be one of the better teams in the country, as evidenced by their defeat of Utah State. And, I mean, they've won. Yeah, that's eight, eight in a row. Yeah, eight in a row. So Bradley is playing some of the best basketball in the conference. But I think Indiana State and Drake just have a little bit more from uh, an offensive standpoint. And with the basketball that Drake's been playing lately on the defensive end as well, I think we're just a step above. I agree that the way you're looking at the standings right now is probably very likely as how as how they're going to end up, you know, with a couple teams maybe moving up or down. But I think in general, Bradley has come on strong uh, as of late. They seem to have the inside track to finishing third. I think what's interesting about their conference title race if you want to call it that is those two early losses i think are going to prove to be so crucial the fact that they started zero and two in conference play will be tough for them to recover from that and i think you and i i mean i know i've made fun of them repeatedly throughout the year but i believe i did say that they would likely finish fourth or fifth which again that's where they're trending kind of disappointed on belmont and southern illinois both of them on three-game losing streaks, kind of fell off and cleared up the title chase, I believe, uh, for the home stretch. Uh, 12 games remaining in the Valley now. But I, I will say, Tucker, I went through the schedule for both Drake, Indiana State, Bradley, you and I, and I do believe Indiana State has the inside track to claim the regular season title. Uh, I, I strongly believe that the title will be decided in Terre Haute, and if Drake can beat Indiana State, they will win the regular season title. If Indiana State beats Drake, it'll be Indiana State that claims it. Uh, when you go through the 12 games that are remaining, 
Indiana State, they don't have a lot of tough games left. You know, they play at Belmont later this week. That's probably their hardest road game that they have left. And they close at Southern Illinois, which going back to my theory on teams that give Drake issues, I believe the teams that will give Indiana State issues are the more offensive teams, not the teams that play just like really rugged defense like Southern Illinois. Uh, So what I'm saying is, I think Indiana State only has one other loss left in them, which means that Drake would absolutely have to beat them, seeing that they still have Bradley twice and you and I twice. And I think Drake is going to drop at least one of the two on the road and see their Bradley or you and I. I don't know which one is more annoying to lose. but <laughs> There was a time when I absolutely would have said you and I would be more annoying, but given... Uh... Bradley's rise and at least in the Twitter world, it might be Bradley now. Um, no, I absolutely agree with you in terms of who has the easier schedule left. I guess I just have a little bit more faith. I mean, you're, you're doubting the Bulldogs are going to be able to, to push through this tough conference schedule that remains. And the way they're playing now, I think Drake is a borderline top 25 team. No, I, I believe Drake is likely going to finish 17 or three best case scenario 18 and 2 in the conference and i believe that indiana state is same thing they'll likely finish 18 and 2 maybe 17 and 3 and again that's assuming you're taking care of business like we're talking about missouri state coming up we know from experience those idiots over there will catch fire and just <laughs> make our wednesday night a nightmare because we've seen it so many times so what i'm saying is even though you know we're, like you said the other day, we're allowed to look ahead and <laughs> and play that game as podcasters. Uh, so when you look ahead and you project, yeah, Drake should be favored in pretty much the majority of those games that are left. But twice against Bradley, twice against you and I, um, especially those two teams, like Drake has had their number lately, especially you and I, and Bradley definitely playing in Des Moines and Bradley seems to be infatuated with with Drake in general, so you know that's going to be a Super Bowl for them when we're in Peoria. Yeah, and also a great point about Bradley is that they have managed to stay within 25 points of Drake a third of the time that they've played in the last three meetings, so you never know uh, what's going to happen there. I hope there's a new t-shirt incoming uh on a on a big uh, lopsided win on on the espn for drake over bradley uh, i i should i should say indiana state does still have a game against bradley but it's at indiana state and i just don't see bradley having the firepower so yeah offensively i don't think there's enough consistency there because indiana state is one of the best offensive teams in the country statistically i haven't looked in a while but for a while i know they were top five and like they just they keep scoring on you and i think that bradley's defense will be able to keep it close but i think their failure to make big buckets at some point in time will probably doom them and like you said we are just idiotic podcasters and (laughs) my perceived over optimism is really just there to balance out the negativity from anyone who doesn't think we're going to uh, I like how we're at a state at Drake, Drake basketball where saying we're going to be 17 and three in conference and potentially finish second 
you know, by a game, it's like, wow, doom and gloom. This <laughs> this is such a negative take. Dude, what an insane year, though, to have two teams that are right on track to finish around 17-3 or 18-2. and two. And imagine being the team that goes 17-3 and three and does not win conference. No, it's crazy. I mean, that's obviously an, an incredible year in conference play, but I really do think that's what it's going to take. I think 18-2 and two means you won the conference. 17-3 and three means you probably have a good chance of winning it, but you might not claim it. The real question is, is if you have, let's say Drake goes 18 and two and Indiana State goes 17 and three, they meet in Arch Madness on Sunday and it's a tight one where one team loses. Does the other one get into the tournament? It seems like the metrics favor Indiana State a little bit more than Drake. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess in that scenario, if if you're putting your MVC commissioner hat, you would want Drake winning and Indiana State losing a close one in the championship. How convenient for me to paint that scenario. I could see it being like the year where, um, you know, Drake had a great, great year record wise, lost a very close one to Loyola and both teams got in, but Drake had to play in the plan. So I could definitely see it going that route if Drake and Indiana State happened to meet in the title game. Yeah. Still have to watch out for Bradley. Like we said, you know, they're playing a lot better basketball. Connor Hickman is having a good season for them. And they still have at Indiana State twice against UNI and twice against Drake as well. And they're already at three losses. So I think they're a little bit behind, but also can't take them lightly. And technically, they would control their own destiny if they beat Indiana State and beat Drake twice. So you never know. All right. Well, listeners, it's time to move on to a brand new portion of the Drake Basketball Podcast. That's right. It's the mailbag. Eduardo and I always have our DMs open or just regular Twitter if you want to reach out that way. But one particularly Drake Basketball fan who chooses to remain anonymous sent us two to break down this episode. The first is who wins in a seven-game series, this year's team or last year's? Great question. And and by the way, it, incredible. We, ha- we have a mailbag uh, of questions that come our way. I think that officially means we've made it. It's a great question. Also, I'm wondering, like, where's the where's the home in a way? I mean, are we just like, you know, you play at Wells Fargo and you play at the nap or, you know, what's the uh, <laughs> what's the home in a way situation? I mean, maybe maybe one game is in Des Moines. One is in Iowa City since both are Des Moines capital. Apparently. <laughs> There you go. Oh, that's funny. Um, my first reaction, when you first sent me the question, my gut reaction was uh, last year's team was more cohesive, you know, better chemistry. They had a kind of an army of glue guys. Uh, but the more I thought about it, I would give the edge to this year's team. And I'll tell you why without getting in the nitty-gritty, but it really all just centers around Kevin Overton. I think he really is the difference from this year's team to last year's team. It's not that, you know, obviously, you know, this year you also get Tucker DeVries as point forward. You get Darnell Brody as point center. So I guess you have to look at it, at least in my mind, you're looking at the exercise of you're getting Tucker and Darnell with one more year of experience uh, compared to where they were last year. And I think Kevin Overton just has given Drake 
a lot more consistency defending forwards and I think consistency in having a third scorer, uh, which I think was lacking at times last year. And, you know, in fact, last year, a lot of times we didn't have a, even like a second scorer. Uh, it was very much so by committee. That is my opening monologue. I, I will take a rebuttal now <laughs> from you. Well, to start off, we were on the same page in our initial thought process, because when I first heard it, I was like, oh, I mean, last year, like I w- they would sweep in a seven game series. Um, but then I started thinking more about the last four games and how well we've been playing. Because like earlier in this season, I think this team was still very potent at times when our shots were dropping. But we were trying to use Tucker as a replacement at point for Roman Penn. And Roman Penn is the best Drake point guard I've seen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So like their offensive efficiency was limited just because you're trying to put a player who's primarily a scorer and do then a primarily distributor's role. But since we've switched over to using Darnell as both the initiation point and distributor for the offense, as well as just freaking bullying guys in the post, it's crazy how much drastically better this year's Drake team has gone. So let's, let's break down the roster okay. at point. You've got, Roman versus Connor, and all the love in the world to Connor, but Roman is probably the best point guard I've seen in a Drake uniform in my lifetime. He led the conference in assists. He's also capable of dropping 30 on any given night. So I've got to give the edge there to Roman. The two spot, you've got DJ versus Atten. DJ was the ultimate 3 and D guy, as evidenced by his status as the school's all-time leading three-point shooter. Um, And he also usually got the assignment of guarding the other team's best player. In that matchup, uh, that's tough because it's like Atten, I think, is a more versatile player on offense. He can drive it inside. He can score. He can finish through contact. And he can also drop it from outside. What are your thoughts there? I mean, I think DJ had a history of consistently locking down guards that would come into the game, you know, averaging 20 and all of a sudden DJ is on them and that just kind of went away. I mean, I think Adden is an explosive enough scorer that it would likely, he would still likely be in double figures. It would probably just be a little bit more inefficient because of DJ. I think we'd see a lot more of the free throw shooting Adden. (laughs) Yes, correct. Just because he'd like bully his way in there do some pump faking and go up through DJ's arms. Um, The most interesting matchup of all at all. And what you identified as the difference maker is Sturts versus Kevin Overton. A a battle of heavyweights going at it. I mean, the most historic glue guy in Drake history versus the freshman sensation, Kevin Overton. What, what a battle. I mean, extremely different skill sets, right? And that's why it's so fun is because it's such a contrast of styles. How do you compare those two players? Because Garrett was also a lockdown defender. Yeah. And he had that ridiculous floater in the lane. Couldn't really shoot threes, but if you left him open long enough, he would. I think defensively, just because Garrett was so wily, I think he would have the advantage, at least in the early games of this seven-game series. As a Drake fan, I feel like you're not allowed to say anyone would get an edge over Garrett Sturts because it it just never happened like he defied he defied college basketball consistently and I know that might sound dramatic 
But the fact that this dude was consistently like a top five rebounder in the conference as like a six three guard who weighs 180 pounds, like it made no sense. Like his whole offensive game and his the way he read defenses, like it just it never really made sense. So so yeah, you would think that the experience factor would would come into play. But I just think that that's the reason why Kevin Overton is is a special player is he he does play like a seasoned veteran and he does have almost like the best of both worlds. Like he is skilled, he can shoot it, but he doesn't ever really get rushed. He has a very composed game. So that's that's why I said I, I just feel like he would be kind of the X factor the end of the day but again we're not allowed to go against garrett sturts in any in any scenario just can't happen it's it's strictly forbidden on the drake basketball podcast (laughs) (laughs) but then at the final two spots you've got tucker versus tucker brody versus brody i mean i think last last year's brody gets worked by this year's brody uh and i think (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a, a battle to a draw between the two tuckers hold on I have the tiebreaker of why this year's team would win. They have Garrett on the bench as a grad assistant. So his wisdom and expertise, you know, that's, you know, that's what ultimately leads the team to victory. So Zadar Calhoun, you're just like, frankly, I don't care, man. (laughs) Yeah. So, so go through the bench players. Like, so compare benches because I, We've talked about it. I mean, I think it is a weaker point of this year's team versus last year's team. Uh, but it really is Sardar Calhoun. Like he's kind of he's kind of the big difference maker of the best scorer from last year and this year. Yeah, I mean, last year you've got Connor coming off the bench as your backup point guard. This point. year you've got Colby. I think Connor was awesome last year in terms of just because they would always up the tempo the moment Connor came in. They would start pushing more. Yeah. And he really led to like a drastic elevation of tempo that I think teams, especially later in games when they were tired and you just see Connor bobbing his way in with the mullet and sprinting up court, there's like, God. Yep. yep. No, I think last year's bench was, uh, was a little bit better. I, I do think Colby kind of cancels out connor to a degree uh last year's connor i should say but last year's bench just had a little bit more firepower and i i think it is it, it was sardar and just connor's ability to just be such an energizer bunny and kind of turn turn the game on its head because i mean really last year the key pieces off the bench were okai would come in as a spot-up shooter you had Sadar, who was he was great. He was just electric offensively, and he also played great defense as the year went on. His game against Miami in the tournament was nuts. But if we want to stop beating around the bush and actually just pick someone to win, I think I'd have to pick last year's team winning four three. Seven games. Just okay. because purely because of the clutch factor of all those seniors and the youth of some of the guys we have now. Yeah. You know, I, as we were going through it and going kind of position by position, I feel like I was second guessing myself, but I just think that this year's team, they have some more resources. They have more answers to the, to the 
puzzle. You know, they can solve games in different ways. I know we talked about it already in this podcast, being able to beat a zone, being able to play from the high post, being able to play through Brody. Um, they just have different looks and different variations uh, for that reason and the KO effect that I mentioned. And I do think that this year's version of Tucker is a little bit better than last year's version. I would take this year's team 4-3. But I do feel dirty saying it because they do ha- they did have the clutch factor and you do have such uh, such continuity that they had with Roman and DJ and Garrett. Uh, but yeah. yeah, and I mean, what's crazy is last year's team was so good that they should have beaten a Final Four team right? while having food poisoning. Like, Garrett Sturris <laughs> is one of the most important players in the entire Drake team. Only played like 18 minutes, I think, that game. Right. Because he was throwing up the entire night before from everything that I've heard. And right. obviously, Tuck had an awful game. Uh, I've, I've heard mixed things on his health for that game but yeah i don't know it'd be a great matchup i would watch um, there you have it let us know who you think would win in a seven game series there are no wrong answers unless you say that it would be a ray jackaletti coach team instead in which case there are wrong answers next podcast we're doing who would win last year's bradley's team versus this year's bradley team <laughs> I know a couple fans on Twitter that would tune in for that one. Um, all right. Part two of the mailbag. This one comes from the same anonymous source. Shout out to the anonymous source. Uh, and it is, who's on your Darren DeVries Mount Rushmore? Okay. And so when I ask that, I'm not talking coaches. I'm talking strictly players. Okay. I feel like the way we should do this is you say a name and then I say agree or disagree and vice versa how about that instead of just going giving the straight four um i have i have another idea tell me if you want to go with this or if you want to just say to hell with that i was thinking we could outline the people who are even in contention okay so we we don't have to go too deep into it but like i was thinking about this earlier and i just jotted down a list of the guys that stood out to me as possibilities okay so so we will we will give you the nominees for yes. the yeah, let's Darren DeVries, Mount Rushmore. And let me know who I've forgotten as I go through here, okay? Okay. I, I love playing the what about this guy game, too. So that's also fun. The very first one I feel like is forgotten about a lot because he only played under DeVries for one year, but he was so impactful, and that is Nick McGlynn. I know. I, d- I did think about Nick, like you said, only one year. I guess similar vein, you can throw in Nick Norton, right? Yeah, and that's that's an even shorter time period because he only played, I think, 14 games. You know, the, the Kyrie Irving of Drake basketball, some would say, you know. But it's wild in terms of a guy who only played 14 games. Talk about an impact on a program. A, his committal was what convinced half of our other recruits to sign with the program at that point. Right. Yeah, and and now he's on the bench, like going to be playing in Nick Norton Gymnasium someday. Okay, so let, let's keep going with the nominees. And then in the end, we also have to select just like your favorite random Drake <laughs> player of the Darren DeBreeze era. Spoiler alert, Pilipo, which is going to be on the list. But anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, continue, we'll continue with the nominees. Uh, so okay. Nick McGlynn, Nick Norton. So, yep, Tramel Murphy. Yep. 
Garrett Sturtz. Oh, you're you're gonna leave his brother out of it. He doesn't get a what about this guy? I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll keep it with Tramel. Do you want me to add Tramel slash Anthony Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same person. All right. Uh, Tramel Murphy, Garrett Sturtz, Roman Penn, Shanquan Hempel, DJ Wilkins, Tucker DeVries, Darnell Brody. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've missed anyone. You could throw Joe Desifu into the mix one year. You know, he did have a big impact. I would veto him from contention of my Mount Rushmore <laughs> purely for, for the running for the hills. But he definitely could earn a spot on, like, favorite Bulldogs or, like, most fun to watch. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So, I mean, I feel like we got a pretty good list. So, McGlynn, Norton. Roman, Tank, Trammell, Sturtz, Brody, Tucker, mm. DJ. Do you have four on there that stand out? I do. Uh, I can walk you through the four. Stop me or give me the green light. I'll, I'll start with Tucker. Probably the most obvious one in the sense of... It's a bold take. It's a bold take. You know, <laughs> highest recruited player that we've ever gotten was probably gonna you know what i haven't looked it up i'm assuming he's probably gonna set the scoring record for drake if he plays his four years yeah if he plays four years he'll set it so tucker we can agree he's on that's, the mount rushmore that's a unanimous consensus selection from the drake basketball podcast all in favor we're carving the stone as we right. speak I'm gonna, I'm gonna bang the gavel all right, walk me through second on the on the Mount Rushmore. All right, second on the Mount Rushmore for me is Roman Penn, Drake's all-time assist leader, Drake's single-game assist leader, Drake's leader in every facet of the game for every year that he was here. For me, this was this was easy. Like when I think yeah. of Drake basketball, Roman summed up so much of what Darren DeVries basketball is all about. Roman is or was the heart of the team. As Roman went, Drake went. Uh, his impact was never fully captured in in the box score. Absolutely in the Mount Rushmore, no question. I think the first two, like Tucker and Roman, I feel like those are fully consolidated. There should be no argument. And it's funny because they obviously both played on the same team and both could have won Player of the Year. I was fully on the Roman bandwagon for player of the year. It was such a luxury in like late game situations to have Roman because it's like, oh, how are we going to get a bucket? Oh, I know. Roman's going to do his little stutter step, end of the lane, crossover, pull up from like 17 feet, buckets. He was a clutch one. He also brought me a lot of moments of joy when we played you and I, and he would just post up Bowen Bourne and just bully ball him. <laughs> DeVries would clear uh, it out and he'd be like, all right, Roman's our, uh, Roman's our center now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but all right, yeah, who do you got number three? I'm going to say Garrett Sturts. Right now, our Mount Rushmores are identical. I also have Garrett Sturts. The ultimate guy, unbelievable that this guy started as a, as a walk-on for Drake by year four. He was our best defender on most nights, probably the best rebounder on the team, had such a knack for finding the gaps and hitting his little his little runner, his little floaters, just had an incredible impact on the team. And similar to, you know, Roman was probably the heart of our team. Garrett probably embodied the gritty and just relentlessness that that Drake basketball era has had. 
Yeah, the only player I've ever heard about who lifts before games, <laughs> which may have reflected in the three-point shooting percentage. <laughs> oh, man, he but, would fit in so nicely with the Phoenix Suns. They should offer him a 10-day <laughs> now that I think about it. But yeah, joining Oscar Robertson as the only guard in Valley history to lead their team in career rebounding. And obviously now he's currently an assistant on the coaching staff. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like so far, pretty much chalk with the first three on Mount Rushmore. I think the be, debate is the fourth. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be curious to hear who you have here. So you want me to go first? I mean, show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's only two options for the fourth head, and I will be chiseling DJ Wilkins into the Mount Rushmore. Woo! So All it's right. DJ or it's Tramel. We have our first disagreement. Okay. Tremel Murphy's visage is going on to my mountain. Uh, he was one of the most important recruits of Darren DeVries' tenure at Drake. Uh, he came back when we were completely unproven. He was a JUCO All-American. He's ranked like 21st, I think, in the country as a JUCO. Uh, he had offers from several Power 5 schools, and together he and Anthony came to Drake and really brought a brand of Drake basketball back that I hadn't seen in my lifetime. Like, especially coming off of the Jack Aletti years, which were some of the slowest, most painfully unathletic basketball teams to watch I've ever seen in my life. And then you have Tramel coming in, doing 360 dunks, posterizing Gage Prem to finish out games, catching alley-oops on the road at Loyola. Not to mention the fact that he also could defend every single spot on the court, yeah. which I think people took kind of for granted a little bit. And then the year after when he was gone, and we're like, well, shoot, we don't have a 6'6", you know, 240-pound guy anymore, however much Tramel weighed. Tramel, if you're yeah. listening, apologies if I overestimated or underestimated your weight. Yeah. Um, well. But take solace in the fact that at least – at least you'll appear on my Mount Rushmore, even if Eduardo would rather DJ be on his. Uh, that's funny. I mean, it really is between DJ and Tramel. I think the reasons you mentioned are completely fair, especially from a, like you said, I, I think Tramel, for lack of a better way of explaining it, brought a certain swagger to Drake basketball that we definitely did not have. <laughs> it'd been a, it'd been a while. So just kind of that confidence, that aggressiveness. And that's, I mean, yes, I, I agree that for those reasons, Jamel uh, was and is very special to Drake basketball. My rationale for going with DJ, probably just the consistency of it. DJ was so reliable. I mean, you knew exactly what you were getting out of him. And great defense, three-point shooting, always kind of played within himself. And just, he was there for a long time. So smooth, always. Um, that's why I went with DJ, but I can't, I mean, you can disagree with Tramel, Tramel being on there. And I guess I, I should say, I always kind of felt with Tramel like, he probably kind of hit a ceiling. I would have liked to see just even, like an even bigger leap with Tramel. Uh, his last season with Drake, I guess is what I'm saying. But in fairness to him, we also had Tucker coming into the fold and Tucker kind of becoming our primary scorer. So 
probably there was some some in there that he had to sacrifice to for the team. So I will say that in his defense. And I mean, Dramel always delivered when it mattered most. I don't know what his yeah. percentage was as a free throw shooter. I don't think it was great. It was probably like, you know, 70 or something. But when he'd get fouled late in games, I always had 100% confidence that he was going to make both. Because some guys aren't like that. Some guys may shoot like 85%, and then it's late. It's like, shoot, this pressure can get to him here. Right. Tramiel would deliver. I remember in that overtime win at Drake against Loyola in the pandemic, he hit a crazy shot. It was a three-pointer in the corner that he knocked down late in OT. I don't remember if you – do you remember that shot? Against Loyola, you said? Yeah, in the NAP Center. It was yeah. in game two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was out in the first one. And then he had yeah. a crazy corner three with time running out. I don't know. Just yep. Tramel always seemed to get the job done when it mattered most. He was on the all-tournament team. I think it was his senior year when we played Wichita State eventually in the NCAA tournament. But, yeah, no, a lot of love for DJ, too. Obviously, he's the school's leading career three-point shooter. He was electric sometimes with his crossovers and those mid-range pull-ups like you said, always took on the toughest defensive assignment, regardless of who we were playing. So a lot of right answers for this one. Yeah, like DJ, one thing I'll say about him is he had that that knee injury his freshman year. I mean, so credit to him. I mean, you never know. Like DJ probably could have had like a more explosive uh, playing career or, you know, score a lot more, but he still always made himself available and a very productive player um so i mean to have injuries like he did and to still have the career that he had i mean that's not easy to do yeah i still get upset thinking about the knee injury where it happened in the post and he got knocked yeah. down and the ref called flopping on him yeah it yeah turned that out was the game against, that was the game against missouri state so i feel like perfect way to put a just a bow on this podcast <laughs> talking about the Missouri State paranoia and I believe that would have been at Missouri State to claim a share of the regular season title that year you know what yeah go out and get some revenge for DJ just destroy Missouri State on Wednesday if you're listening Bulldogs so what's uh so do, do we just have separate Mount Rushmore's are we going to have an official DBP do we need to have our our fans chime in on who's the fourth on the Mount Rushmore to have an official DBP Mount Rushmore yeah we should probably have a tiebreaker of some sort because I'm not budging yeah 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 we could just go rogue and have five uh on the Mount Rushmore (laughs) Also, a guy that we haven't mentioned on the podcast, by the way, speaking of uh, guys that had short stints, uh, shout out to Liam Robbins, another defector, also stuck around the program for for a hot second there. Yeah, no, Liam had one of the highest potentials uh, for a Drake (laughs) player I've seen, but, you know, he he was very close with his uncle, and uh, ultimately he, he decided to to make the call to go hang out with Ed Conroy in Minnesota and then ultimately Vanderbilt. Um, so I, th- I think that probably didn't lead to quite as satisfying of a playing career just because both of those teams were pretty awful. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, you do you, Liam. Uh, so as promised, I'd like to go over who is your favorite uh, random Drake player of the Darren DeBreeze era. It can be just like a fan favorite. 
a guy who still had a pretty good impact, even though he wasn't in there for for that long. Uh, who who comes to mind? Uh, I wish I'd spent longer thinking about this. For random, it'd probably be Tank Tank Hemphill. Does does I'm he sorry. not count as random enough? No, no, no. I was gonna say I'm sorry to Tank because he should be in the conversation to be in in Mount Rushmore. I feel like we kind of glossed over him a we, little bit. We listed him, didn't we? We we did list him, but I feel like he deserved more of an explanation than just a list. <laughs> yeah, no, because I didn't know anything about him when we got him from uh, UW Green Bay, but he blew my mind with how good he was. Like yeah, I was I mean, really no. really impressed with his game. He was a lot better than I was anticipating coming in, and like I haven't seen a guy that athletic since. The, a guy that just was so relentless at attacking the hoop, uh, just running the break, getting putbacks. Um, I mean, the year the year we made it to the tournament against Wichita State, arguably our best player all year. Um, then he gets hurt, and then Joe Yesifu just decides to go on an absolute heater for about a six-week stretch, which was pretty good for Drake. Um, but yeah, definitely had a huge impact in the program too. So shout out, shout out to Tang. But I think it's okay to say that's your favorite, you know, random player of the Debris era. Yeah, when I say random, I don't mean it's probably not a fair answer to the question because tank was anything but random. Like he was one of our best players for multiple years. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like a lot of the That's program fair. success was built on tank shoulders. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, w- I was more going for the, like, uh, hopefully Pilipovich can come in and hit a three for us. Always was a fan of Noah Thomas. I don't know why he was just seemed to have, an impact on games randomly for Drake. And also he had the, uh, the flowy hair and then he would go through stretches where he would just turn the ball over constantly. But back then we never had guys who would just attack. So when he came on the floor, it was at least like, all right, someone that's going downhill is trying to score. is trying to have a positive impact on the game. So I guess those were the two that came to mind. Pilipovich, Noah Thomas, like a Jonah Jackson, for example, you know, those are the Okai. Okai fits into that, I would say. So you just don't care about Sam Jones at all, you're saying? <laughs> that could have been your answer. You you went you went with Tank. So for you, you're just like Connor Golson did not leave a mark on your heart. That's fine. That's fine. No, I mean if you want to be you want to just no, if you just want to ignore Andrew Barrett, I'm not gonna just sit here. Oh, we're, just, take we're that. just okay. name dropping now. <laughs> oh, oh man, that's funny. Well, there you have it. That's our first official mailbag. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you to the anonymous sender who sent those in. Great questions for all those listening out there. We'd love to do mailbags any chance we get. So, if you have any Drake hypotheticals or what will happen when, we'll do our best to swing wildly at them. I love it. And uh, just to wrap up the pod. It's a reminder, if you haven't already heard it in this podcast, Missouri State on Wednesday. It's a big game for Drake, trying to avenge uh, some some past demons uh, in Springfield. And then you and I at home. We didn't even talk about it. Drake taking on our beloved Panthers at home. It'll be a fun week for Drake basketball. 
Yeah, I can't wait for it. Uh, the nap should be electric against the Panthers uh, at home this weekend. Uh, but got to take care of business against the Bears first. I'm going to the game, and I could only get general admission tickets, so already a good sign, right? Yeah, no, I'm going. I'm going as well. So I will see you there. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a, what a coincidence. I'll see you before that, but how about that? Alrighty, go dogs. Go dogs. Thank <laughs> you.